You're listening to The Collected Podcast, bringing you inspiration and resources to help you discover and live from your truest self. Follow along on social media at Collected Workshops, and be sure to visit thecollectedpodcast.com for show notes and to learn more. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 25 of The Collected Podcast. I'm Tia McNelly. And I'm Jess Viando. And today we are so excited to have Daniel Hill on the podcast. He is the author of White Awake, and he has his newest book coming out in two weeks called White Lies, Nine Ways to Expose and Resist the Racial Systems That Divide Us. Wow, Daniel, welcome to the show. Yes. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Tia. I'm really grateful to be here with you both. Um, As we dive in today, we definitely want to dig into the content of both of your books. But before we get into that, will you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and how you ended up doing this really vital work that you're doing now? Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, I got to get better at the fast version of this, right? We all all have so many chapters in our story, but absolutely, uh, you don't have to be too fast. uh, famous last words. Uh, my, my, uh, <laughs> my upbringing's in Chicago. So I grew up there my whole life. I always assumed I would leave there, but I think that's probably come and gone now. I think I'm probably going to be a lifer there in Chicago. And I would have never known this growing up, you know, Chicago in a lot of ways is ground zero for a lot of the racial unrests in the United States. Um, you know, whether you look at the way that cities were, redesigned and remapped kind of according to racism, you know, after black people came north during lynching, you know, Chicago is one of those places that's kind of profoundly racially segregated, um, organizing, a lot of people would say organizing has its roots in Chicago. Um, uh, so it's, it's, I can kind of see God's hand, you know, in the, in the grand scheme, of course, I was not really thinking much about that growing up, but so that's where I grew up. And pastor's kid. My father was a pastor and a scholar. Um, so, church is all I ever knew. Um, that was more bad than good. You know, a lot of painful memories from that, a lot of church splits and yucky stuff. So I had to take kind of a long route to, you know, finding faith for myself and working through church hurt, which I'm guessing is something a lot of folks who listen to your podcast can understand. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, didn't really want anything to do with church. Didn't want anything to do with this kind of work. So I went into the business world. I, Worked full-time during college while I was getting my business degree and worked in kind of a number of technology startups. So um, when I was 22, I joined another startup company after graduating college. And that brought me out next door to this enormous white megachurch called Willow Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I went there only for social reasons. I never had, I had very few people my own age in church growing up. So when I found out Willow Creek had a young adults ministry of a hundred plus people, that was like staggering to me. So I had always been much better at picking up girls in Christian places than in secular places. So it felt like a natural fit. So it was very unholy reasons that I came, but that's where I really ended up coming back to faith was at Willow Creek and, um, in kind of one of those God only stories. I mean, I was barely back to faith, much less mature in it. Yet they pretty relentlessly pursued me to come on staff there. Um, and so I ended up, by that time, I had my own tech company. So I shut that down and went on staff at Willow and wow. worked there all through my 20s. And um, that was a very formative time for me. And, you know, we can kind of get into this later, but it was in that kind of five years, seven years total, five years working. That was that stretch there that God really began to awaken me to racial injustice and my own complicity and complacency with that. And so that eventually then led to me planting the church on that now in January 2003. And what is that church? It's called River City Community Church. Okay. It's in Chicago. It's got 77 neighborhoods, um, each with their own kind of personality. So we're in a neighborhood called Humble Park. It's a really interesting community. It's um, 
it's been kind of stuck in generations of poverty for a while. It's mm. pretty mixed between African-American and Latino. It's also the cultural heart of the Puerto Rican community in Chicago. Cool. Um, and we've got white and Asian folks part of the church too. So it's a very kind of dynamic and both good in the hard ways church in the city of Chicago. Wow. And so was that an intentional choice uh, where mm-hmm. you planted that church to go into yeah. that neighborhood? Yeah. 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 That was, wow. yeah. Yeah. Whole story behind that. But yes, it's definitely intentional choice. That's great. Yes. And so what brought about uh, this intense and as Jess said before, vital work of addressing um, just issues with white supremacy and white privilege and all of these things that we're, we're hearing more and more about today. Why was this an issue you were working on when you wrote your first book? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, kind of as talked earlier, it's, it was uh, take a long road back to faith. Um, but once I came back in my early twenties, you know, I really did fall deeply in love with Jesus and wanted my whole life to be around following him. And so, you know, I think certain kind of passages that I certainly had heard, of course, growing up as a pastor's kid, but, you know, when he talks about Jesus opens his ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near, right? Or in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, seek first the kingdom and all else, you know, will follow. Um, I started to try to ask more and more, what does it mean to like fully live following Jesus and kind of praying for his kingdom to come? And um, that, that really brought me to the kind of question of, you know, certainly at a personal level, we all have things that are hard to submit, you know, and what it means to align with Jesus is King. But it, when, when I looked at society as a whole and where Christ is trying to bring his kingdom to come and what it is that stands in the way of that kingdom coming, what stands really, if I could use language, a rival kingdom, really, and warring mm-hmm. with Jesus for his reign to come, it started to become really apparent to me that the system of race was the most powerful um, opponent to the kingdom of Jesus. And that's, it, it's, I started to kind of view it almost like a kingdom of God lens, like the, the, the system of race really functions like its own kingdom, its own reality. And everything it, everything it operates off of is completely opposed to the ways of Jesus. And it started to become more and more apparent to me that it's actually not possible to follow Jesus in this day and age without also confronting white supremacy. And that's something that I'd never heard in my churches growing up. In fact, that was something that in the early stages of forming this idea, I was actually often accused of you know, selling out to a social gospel or liberal gospel or becoming too political or something. It was very disorienting and trying to make sense of that. But somehow my gut, I mean, I think God was revealing to me, I, I was becoming more and more convinced that you can't love Jesus without hating white supremacy. Of course, I'm not talking about white people, I'm talking about the ideology of it. Right, um, but right. I, I really think it does organize itself as a rival kingdom. And um, yeah, so it became impossible. That's so for me well to think put. Of, oh, thank you. Yeah. It became yeah. impossible for me to think of following Jesus without joining him and confronting a rival kingdom. So where did you start in confronting it? I mean, it's, yeah, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 20 plus years into it now and I'm still very, I mean, we got off of a call last night where in a series at our church, you know, the, the, the black community of our church is still reeling from all that's happened in kind of American society, you know, these past few months and, sure, uh, you know, kind of, it was just kind of a new match to it when the, the, the combination of Ahmaud Arbery being killed and Breonna Taylor being killed and um, George Floyd being killed and Christian Cooper being attacked in the park, you know, um, uh, yeah. And so we, we met last night with our black leadership and I just continue to realize just how many things I don't understand and how <laughs> it's, this isn't like a checkbox. You, 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 you check off and kind of move on, you know, it's, 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 it's a pretty profound kind of thing. But um, for me, uh, I, I think I, I had to come to grips with the fact that, hey, 
I, I think the way that race works, I think the way ideology of white supremacy works is, you know, it privileges and esteems and assigns. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I think the terminology, though, it's often charged to term white supremacy. And it's one that makes people nervous. I think it's important a term to use. One, I've kind of already referenced it, but I, I think from a spiritual lens, it helps us remember how deep it goes, that it's basically vying with Jesus Christ for supremacy. <laughs> it's like Colossians 1 says Jesus wants to be supreme over all things. And then there's white supremacy, which says it wants to be supreme over all things. I really think it's at that level. But the other yeah, reason I think it's helpful. I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think the other reason it's helpful is it's got a definition built in, right? Like white supremacy is not defined by the most violent acts that come with it, which is typically what people think. White supremacy is defined by an ideology that literally says whiteness is supreme or whiteness is mm. superior. And built into that, a term is often used, I don't know if this is familiar to listeners, but a term is often used anti-blackness, which is just the other side of white supremacy. That white supremacy doesn't just attribute superior value to whiteness, it attributes inferior value to blackness. And you can't really understand the one without the other. They're, they're kind of built together. And so um, where I think my journey to start, I think to be white in this society, you are actually conditioned at minimum to not notice white supremacy, but I would say it goes even further. I think you're conditioned, we are conditioned to not interrogate it, to not analyze it, to not question it. And so when something happens, you know, wherever you guys are at in your life, where I've been, my life, when something happens where you say my faith or something else or it's society causes me to quite, you know, to realize it's there in a way I never did before. It's a super disorienting process. It's For a super sure. confusing process. It's, 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 you feel defensive at multiple points of the way. Um, so I would say I spent a whole lot of years. I'm just trying to like make sense of what it means that there's this new reality I'm trying to contend with that, you know, people of color and black people especially have always had to contend with, but it's like brand new for me. Uh, that's a lot of where my first book, What Away came out of was, um, you know, What Away could have been one chapter. The first chapter kind of talks about what race is and all the rest of the chapters talks about the multitude of emotional reactions and defensive mechanisms that tend to happen for those of us who are white and how to kind of keep moving forward into it um, when we want to kind of walk away at multiple points. So I'd say that's where I spent a lot of my time just trying to make sense of what that system is, how to think about it theologically, how to think about it from the lens of being a Jesus follower. Um, yeah. I think you have to spend a long time in there before you can do anything real concrete to participate in confronting it. So that leads to a question that I have for you. And we like to keep things pretty practical for our listeners. We always like for them to have something mm -hmm. to walk away with. Um, you know, it's sort of actionary. And so if you could, if you could direct white Christians who desire to press into this and feel that urge to walk away, that discomfort, that almost offense mm -hmm. creeping in of like, this could, I can't be a part of this problem. Mm -hmm. Certainly not. I have Christ in my heart. I have right. love in my heart. The, right. You know, those typical reactions mm -hmm. of white people who have been asleep to this yeah. issue. Um, what practical steps can you offer white Christians right now to press in when they feel like walking away? Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to do things if I can't make sense of it biblically first. So the the, Go the, right ahead. the, the Bible story that's been really helpful for me on this journey um, is Nicodemus in John chapter mm -hmm. three. You know, you remember that one? And it was not a story I ever resonated with growing up because for him, it's this, you know, he's this super accomplished Pharisee, right? He's on the Sanhedrin, which is like the Jewish Supreme Court in Jerusalem. So, I mean, he's as esteemed within the Pharisaical community as one could be. And of course, Pharisees get a hard time in the Bible and right. So to some degree, because they miss Jesus, but it's also easy to forget that they were the most religiously devoted people alive in that time, right? They were so committed to the Old Testament law so much so that they added all these additional rules on top of it, right? So the fact that he was such an esteemed, accomplished religious man never really 
like that was never my journey, right? I was much more of a younger, younger brother, <laughs> younger prodigal type. But um, God used that to help me kind of create a roadmap for the racial awakening journey. Uh, because when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in John chapter three, um, I think Nicodemus was sincere. I think he genuinely, you know, it's one of the things that stands out in that conversation is he's not, he's not trying to trap Jesus with questions. He's not, you know, he's not looking for a loophole. I think he senses that Jesus has a connection to God that goes beyond what he has. So I think he's sincere, but I also think he was completely unprepared for the answer he would get. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, I mean, he had spent his whole life developing religious devotion, right? So I think he was wondering, what's that one last piece? Do I need to fast a little bit more, give a little bit more, add a couple more rules to what I already do, right? And so of course, Jesus famously said to him, nobody can see the kingdom of God without first being born again, right? And I just imagine how disorienting that must have been for Nicodemus, right? It's like, what are you telling? Like, I, nobody has worked as hard as I have to be aligned with the God that you say I'm supposed to be under. Like, how can you tell me that? Like, you're basically telling me nothing I've done counts. Like, that in this new mm-hmm. system, I have to start from scratch. I have to like start like a baby, right? Like, I can't even walk yet, much less crawl. That's what you're telling me, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and of course, we, we know the main point of that is salvation being born again. But I think it does speak, I, I, I think... We don't always think about the words Jesus says. Jesus says nobody can see the kingdom without being born again. So we need to be born again for sure. But there's also see the kingdom, which I think is a really mm-hmm. important part of that. And so one of the things I think Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, and I'll make this application back, is that there's a whole spiritual reality that you're unaware of because the only way you know how to access the presence of God is through this kind of works-based system where you keep laws. And that the ways of God, like that's one part of this enormous reality of the ways of God, but you're not even going to be able to begin this part. Like it's not doing more stuff that opens you up to this. Like, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, through the kind of transformative work of the Holy Spirit, there's a whole new reality that you need to learn to see. And it's going to feel scary because you're going to be like a baby when you start in this, but it's the only path. So you can go back to your world if you want, but when you do, you're saying no to Jesus. Um, I think what a lot of us who are white, we're, we're Nicodemus-like, and we kind of think we're mostly on the right track in that if I just post a little bit more or if I was a little bit more vocal about something or if I was a little more conscientious, like then I can be you know, kind of on the right side of this thing. And while I don't want to discourage any efforts that are about you know, contributing and participating to a more just society, I think the scarier but more transformative answer is we have to see that when it comes to understand the system of race, we have to be Nicodemus-like and say, there's a whole reality I don't understand. I can only understand it through the transformative work of the Holy Spirit, but it's going to require me becoming like a baby and starting all over again. And I'm going to be very disoriented. And it's going to be a while before I can even crawl, much less walk. And that's the only, like for Nicodemus, it wasn't like that's option A. And then here's another option. If you don't like that one, it's kind of like, it's an all or nothing kind of proposition, right? You either move with Jesus or you don't, you know? And so I don't maybe stark about it, but I really, that's kind of, that's, the concrete work I would say is to embrace this kind of blindness to sight reality of I've been conditioned by a system to not see it. And I'm not going to, mm-hmm. I'm not going to suddenly see it clearly in one day. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to suddenly be on the right side of this because I'm posting or doing this. Well, again, I'm not discouraging any of those things, but they shouldn't be mistaken. I think for the necessary work to see the kingdom of yeah. God in the way that it reveals the kingdom of race. That's so powerful. And it really closely aligns with, with, part of our message at Collected Ministries, which is that in order to know who we are, to understand, even be able to see ourselves as we really are, the way that God created us, we have to first see the Father. If we're made in His image, we have to understand who the Father is. And that relationship is the first step to understanding who we are. And then if we do begin to get an understanding of who we are and identify with Christ, that shows us how to be. 
And so as we look to understanding who we are and being Christ-like in our daily lives, that opens up this concept that you're highlighting of of tracking down these false concepts that have come from society and culture and all of these, these yeah. lies that have cre- crept in. And I love that progression. If I can even go back as to, I think um, we can't even, so I would argue this in this society, we can't even know who we are in Christ without contending with the lies of white supremacy. So it's not even like we can fully root ourselves in who we are and then fight them. We don't even know who we are. Um, like, of course we know the, like my set, like there's different ways to answer that. Who are we? Who are we in Christ? Right. My favorite one is the baptism of Jesus, where the voice of God comes over Jesus, right, and says, "This is my Son, my beloved. I take delight in Him." That's how I think of identity in Christ, right? Like that's how I think for myself every day. I pray that, knowing that through Christ, those words are true for me too. That I am loved. That I'm His Son. That you know He takes yeah. pleasure in me. But even there, I think there's a gap between my ability to like name that as a truth and actually to be able to fully live into that without separating from the lies of the evil one, right? That's the fact that Jesus goes from the baptism into the, into the wilderness and the devil immediately says, if that's really true, then do this. If that's really true, then do that. Right. Like I think that identity that Jesus speaks over us is immediately countered by the devil in real life. And so, um, long way of getting to, I think that white supremacy, that's, that's the insidious nature of it every single day. And it's different for people of color because they're being told they're less than what God says. For those of us who are white, we're being told we're more even than that, that there's an inherent superiority to who we are based on where we were created on the racial hierarchy. And uh, so anyway, I'm with you on that progression. That's exactly how I see it too, knowing who we are in Christ and moving into the world. But even the like, we can't minimize, like that's actually the biggest work of all in race is knowing who we are. Because if we've not done the work, and none of us, I'm still doing the work. So I know most of us haven't done as much as we can. We have to constantly do the work of excavating who does God say I am versus who do white supremacy say I am. And by the power of the spirit, Mm. rebuking the parts of who does white supremacy say I am so that I can actually live into who Jesus says that I am. Dude, Daniel, you just like completely rocked my world. That is so unbelievably true. Like, I don't think that I've ever recognized that as being such a prevalent part of identity. Like you may have like shifted a direction for me. Thank Even you. in yeah. my my own writing, it's been important for me too. I, I think that. I think yeah. I think that's that. That the reason I said that so strongly is it's been important for my own journey of like mm-hmm. making a mistake of like I get grounded in who I'm Christ and then go take on this stuff and I'm realizing oh that's that's actually where that's the first battleground is I haven't done the excavation work to kind of separate out the messaging of Christ from the messaging of white supremacy. And that's, that's where it gets, that's where it's painful, right? It's grafted in, right? And so of course Jesus wants to deliver us from that. That's the very work he's trying to do, but that's kind of getting ahead. Like that's why I use this language of white lies a lot, right? We, it's not just the white lies in society. We have to address it. White lies in our own heart, soul, and mind that we have to have the spirit attend to. So thank you. So if like, if, if you push into this concept of white lies in this new book that you've written, Mm If there's if if nobody reads your book, which they're going to, and mm-hmm. it's brilliant that you guys pushed the drop date because it needs. I wish it was out today. Mm-hmm. I wish that everybody had mm-hmm. access to this book today. But if if someone was not going to read your book and they only listen to this podcast, what what has the Lord burdened your heart with to get across to people? What is the the impetus behind this book? I, I especially for white Christians, a lot of white Christians not so white people in general have been conditioned to not think about white supremacy. White Christians specifically have been conditioned to categorize race and white supremacy as something kind of extracurricular to the gospel, um, maybe growing in importance, but still. It's like there's the core tenets and truths of life with Christ, and then there's this kind of problem of race and 
you know, they can kind of make a little bit of a connection. So certainly anybody who's found Christ should probably, probably be concerned about this. Um, but, but there's this kind of internal theological fragmentation. And so what I'm trying to say with this, but like if there was a theological starting point, it's reminding us that at the most base level, Jesus, Jesus declares himself as truth, capital T truth, right? That's who he is that right. John 14, six, he's the way, the truth and life. John eight, that when you know the truth, you're set free, right? That freedom is found in truth and truth is found in Christ. And yep. the corollary of that is that the fundamental way the devil is described in the Bible, and we don't always talk about the devil in kind of daily reality, but I think when when you remember that Jesus calls the devil a liar, that he's the father of lies, his native tongue is that of lies, he's a liar through and through, like that's the in the day-to-day reality of being a Christian, I think those are the currencies that we're negotiating is the truth that's found in Christ and the lies that are found in the devil. And um, the system of race only survives because it's got so many lies that hold it up. And um, just for a whole lot of reasons, we just like Christians should have always been leading the conversation on this because that's our work is to call truth right. truth and to, and to expose lies as lies. So we should have always been the ones who are the leaders of this and dismantling the system and the lies behind it. But th- the sad truth of it is we're behind every other institution in the United States. We have the hardest time talking about the lies of the system of race and the truth of how Jesus speaks into it. Cause again, we've been programmed even to find all these escape routes of seeing it as political or social or liberal or irrelevant, whatever the thing would be. Yeah. And so that's a big piece of it of like, if you love Jesus, then you have to love truth. And if you love truth, you have to hate lies. And if you hate lies, you're going to hate white supremacy because that's how the yeah. whole thing, that's 250 years of lies that have been built up around that. And um, wow. yeah, so it's, it's wanting people to love Jesus more and to take mm-hmm. seriously his call to participate in his life and in his kingdom. Yeah. And so what is our point of hope? If Christ is our hope, can you point us in, in a direction of hope in this? I mean, truth is the only hope we have, right? If we don't have truth, we have no mm-hmm. anchor point. So, I mean, I, I, that's to me that I'm like, that's where I'm like, we need to wake up. We're not basing ourselves on the truth. We're like, mm-hmm. we're going along with a current of too many lies and that's, there's nothing but death in lies, right? There's nothing but deceit in lies. And so mm-hmm. the, 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 the only hope we have is the truth of Christ. So yeah, it, it's, it's, um, <laughs> I'm trying to do what I was taught growing up, right? To place my hope in the in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. So, I mean, I fully believe he's yeah. the cornerstone of the church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, but we have to be connected to him and to his truth in order to experience that victory. So he's the only, I mean, I don't think you can look at how deep and dark this stuff goes without immediately needing to get back to the truth that's in Jesus Christ. Right, yeah, yeah. Most of us aren't so paying attention to it, right? We're just kind of like, La 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 la. I'm sure you know. I'm sure it's going to work itself out. So we're not. Act- I would just say most of us are not actually holding on to the truth. We're we're, we're mm. got our head in the sand, or you know, are kind of living in this kind of lulled. It's kind of Ephesians five when Apostle Paul says, "Wake up, O sleeper! <laughs> right, <laughs> no more time right. for lies. Right, like the uh, Lord is at work, man. We, we just got to yeah. We we got to we got to be standing on the side of Jesus in this stuff. Right, this isn't about political ideologies or social justice. Though those all uh, those all come from right. following Jesus. This is about waking up sleepers. Wow. Yeah. We got to get uncomfortable. Got to break out of these bubbles. I, I've always, I, I do work in Kenya and I love bringing, um, just bringing folks that are kind of living in an oblivious little bubble in the U S mm-hmm. out of that and, um, waking up to the injustices and inequities of the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I feel like the Lord has done that so deeply with me in that regard but not 
not with the identity work that you're talking about with white supremacy mm. and until, you know, like the last five, six years. Mm-hmm. And so it's just another bubble that mm-hmm. needs to be burst. And we can't ever think that because we get some, some new fresh perspective that we have the whole, per- the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. this, this is just a brand new bubble. I think that a lot of Christians need to burst out of. Yeah. Jess, you have a question? You have something? Well, um, I have the book here and, um, sorry, if, if we end up posting the video to this, this is what it looks like, white <laughs> lies. Um, and, you know, just talking about being comfortable and bursting the bubble, I want to read your chapter titles mm-hmm. um, to kind of tease the book and get people mm-hmm. even more interested if they're not already. Mm-hmm. Um, because these right here are, I mean, just powerful and make you think already just with the chapter titles. Um, So stop being woke, beware of diversity, clearly define race, attack the narrative, duel with the devil, tell the truth, choose your friends wisely, interrogate power, and repent daily. Dang. And those are the practices that the whole book centers around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just saying those practices I mean, that's convicting and that's challenging. Mm-hmm. And you guys buy this book <laughs> yes. and dig into those practices. Um, it goes on sale September 1st. And once it goes up, we'll update all the links um, so that you can refer back to the episode and just have direct access to the book because this is a really, really important concept in time. And I don't know, I don't, I don't want us to stay complacent or asleep mm-hmm. And so just as our listening community, um, we want to do this work with you and encourage you in this and know that we're doing it too. Right. Um, and we're walking with you in this. Yeah. And and to current Collected Podcast listeners, you listen to this show because you want to know your true identity. And what we've learned from Daniel today is that you cannot do that without, if you are a white Christian who aims to follow Jesus with your whole life, you cannot do that without addressing white supremacy. That is a brain bursting Mm -hmm. truth for me today. And so I hope that that is um, a thought process that will awaken you further today. Mm -hmm. Wow, Daniel, anything else you wanna leave us with? What didn't we ask that we should have? Oh goodness. I don't know. I'm sure we could talk about this for hours. So oh, I, for sure. I, yeah. Um, nothing jumps out to me. I'm happy to, if there's anything else for you all that it seems like we want to touch on, I'm happy to, but nothing jumps out to me. Okay. I have all one right. final question. You mentioned um, the, that sometimes an excuse people use to not dig into this is that it's just all political. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And I've heard that recently with everything that's happening this summer that, you know, this isn't as much of an issue as the media is trying to make it. And we've made a lot of progress. And this is just because of the political season we're in. What do you say to that? That's good. good yeah, that's, I mean, that's for sure chosen ignorance when people say stuff like that. Um, in the one of the practices you mentioned, I call duel with the devil, because I think it is important to acknowledge that the devil that's how the devil, right? The Apostle Paul says we're not ultimately up against flesh and blood, right? We're against up against principalities and powers of darkness. I knew that verse since I was little, but I didn't know really what that meant. <laughs> um, even when I was in charismatic settings, I realized now, like for my take now, the way you know where the devil is, is look for where the lies are. Like when, where lies are 
not just present, but even believed, like that's where you know spiritual warfare is at work. So any level to diminish the historical impact of white supremacy is just a sheer lie. So there's a lot of ways to illustrate that, but what I do in the chapter on Duel with the Devil, and it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for people, but I make sure I do half and half, <laughs> Democrat and Republican. Um, so what I do is I go all the way back to George Washington, and I just go through multiple presidents and how nakedly they talk about... Um, the hierarchy of race, which is, again, attributing superior values to white people and inferior subhuman values to black people. And it's stunning when you kind of travel along the timeline. Like these aren't radical extremist KKK kind of people. These are elected officials who half or more of the country were always behind. And again, it's we're all affected by this. So I'm not trying to say this is a Republican problem or a Democrat problem. This is a, this is a human problem in the United mm-hmm. States, how it has been. And so like just that, I mean, you can look at athletes, you can look at artists, you can look at all the different kind of people who uh, inform the the, uh, the way we think about things in society, but I'm doing just politicians in that chapter to make the point. But the reason I bring that up is you can see, it's just amazing. The kind of rhetoric we use now is the same kind of rhetoric we were using 250 years ago. And you realize, wow, this lie just hasn't moved, right? It has, yeah. been, it has been so ingrained into the consciousness of how we function and that's not even getting to there's a whole nother conversation of like how do you start to think about this systematically where those lies work themselves into school systems and those lies work themselves into the way neighborhoods are organized and those lies work themselves into the health system and you can start to you can start to see it in a whole new way and there's reasons why every generation these racial disparities continue to be profoundly um, unequal between groups because the lies have turned into structure so anyway that's a whole nother conversation the bottom line being um obviously I'm biased, I guess, at some level, but I don't think there's a way to unbiasedly look at the historical data around this and have other any conclusion other than to say it's brutal, it kills people, it wounds people, it harms people. Um, it's 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 one of the it's 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 one of those things I, th- I think it's one of the most evil things the whole world has ever seen, right? I mean to, to find something that's got 250 years of unsustained or of, uh, unbroken kind of impact. Um, is a profound kind of concept to realize. So it almost like hurts my heart when people say stuff like that because it feels like more than uninformed. It feels like it's almost like, yeah, again, I, I don't want to diminish whoever's saying it, but it almost feels like propaganda when people say stuff like that. Like you, mm-hmm. you have to look hard to try to find a way to minimize the impact that the system of white supremacy has had on our country and on the people who live here. I have a lot of things that I could say to affirm what you're saying, but we're almost out of time. So I'm going to withhold. You said it very well, but I have, yeah, so many things in my own recent experience that Mm. speaks to what you, what you just said being very true. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Mm. Wow. We so appreciate you taking time to speak Mm. with us. We are honored to have you on our show. I mean, it's one of those, like, is this real life moments to be able (laughs) to have a chance to talk with you, just the three of us like this. Um, and so we just pray blessings over you and your work and your church. And um, we just declare that you're taking ground in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tia. Thank you, Jess. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Wow, what a really powerful conversation mm-hmm. um, with Daniel. I was exploring his website and blog and links to his books and everything um, as we were preparing for this interview and to talk to him. And I read a blog post that he wrote um, about confession and repentance. And, Mm. you know, he mentioned in the interview that he's been doing this work now for 20 years. So in my mind, he's got to be an expert. But he was sharing in this blog post how even just recently 
he stood up in front of his whole church church and repented again and like confessed and that really moved me of like we all have more work to do in speaking it out and you know asking for accountability and admitting our wrongs breaks the work that the devil's trying to do like the devil can't stand against that when we bring it into the light um and I think that creates tremendous unity in the, within the body of Christ when we can sure. humble ourselves before one another. Um, yeah. So that just really struck me. Everything in this interview um, yeah. was was really, really good. So powerful. And you know, what you're saying just reminds me, if, if, if we're called to be ministers of reconciliation and the Lord has put these promises on our lives... Um, and he's written our, our destinies before we were created. I was reading, um, I'm still just working my way through the Bible. And I started first Kings today. And as I was, um, exploring kind of the, the context of that, those historic books, um, first and second Kings, it struck me again. It's hit me several times since the fall that there is an, if you dot, 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 I will dot, dot, dot format to God's promises that we have an active part to play in seeing the kingdom realized on earth. And that if, if the promises and the covenant, the covenants are our collaboration, we have a part to play in his promises. And so the work of being a minister of reconciliation takes work on our part. It takes active participation and, I'm so convicted on another level today that dismantling the lies of white supremacy is is a key, a key to the to the open to, to opening the door of the kingdom on earth. To just work that out live right in front of all of you. <laughs> this is um yeah, this is powerful stuff. I really hope that each and every one of you listeners will will purchase this book White Lies by Daniel Hill. And um, again, we so appreciate you listening. We know if you are one of our regular listeners that you're dedicated to the work of, of excavating the truth of who we are in Christ. And this is a vital part of that. So thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And thanks for supporting our work. If you would like to see this podcast thrive and continue and um, and continue to have these incredible guests come and, and um, share with you, we would love for you to visit patreon.com slash the collected podcast and uh, become a patron. You can also donate to the, to our ministry at collectedministries.org slash donate. Um, we exist because of your participation and what, what we're doing, our yes and our obedience to the call that God has put on our lives. And so um, we would appreciate you supporting us financially if you're able. Um, and no matter how you support us, listening is a blessing to us and we bless you in return. So thank you so, so much for joining us and we will see you in another couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to The Collected Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you would help spread the word. Check back here for weekly episodes dropping every Thursday. You can follow Collected on social media at Collected Workshops. The Collected Podcast is also on Patreon at patreon.com slash thecollectedpodcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Become a patron for as little as $1 a month 
to gain access to bonus content, early bird ticket sales, exclusive contests, and more. You can also find Tia at Tia McNelly Notes, Jess at Spreza Foundry. Collected proudly supports and partners with Flourish Kenya, a nonprofit working to prevent and support unplanned adolescent pregnancy in rural Kenya. Learn more at flourishkenya.org. The Collected Podcast is recorded and edited by Jacob Early. Music is by Asaf Alon.